This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Welcome to episode 11 of the Total Saints podcast. If you like your football and more importantly Southampton football then you're in the right place as the Total Saints podcast goes to the heart of all things Saints. My name is Ben Stanfield, I'm the host of the podcast and this week I'm joined by not one but two esteemed guests. First up is the Chief Sports Writer at the Southern Daily Echo and our regular guest of the show Adam Leach. Adam watches, reviews and writes about Saints every week and has done so for the last 16 seasons. Therefore, when it comes to talking knowledgeably about exactly what's going on inside and outside of Saints, Adam is the man in the know. Adam, how are we keeping? Yeah, good, thanks. Big build up. (laughs) (laughs) Going to have to deliver on that one now, thanks. (laughs) Good to hear. Now, our second guest on the episode joined Saints from Colchester United in August 2009. He went on to make 124 appearances for Saints between 2009 and 2013, including captaining us to the JPT Trophy Glory at Wembley in 2010. I'm sure you've got it by now, but if you haven't, maybe this will help. Now Hammond picks it up centre field, driving towards the penalty area, might get a shot off, low one left looking, and the captain starts the season in tremendous style, back in the championship for Southampton. Hammond with a low left footed drive, 20 yards out, beats Lonergan to his right, and St Mary's erupts, and the championship has kicked off for Southampton Football Club. Yes, the Total Saints podcast is delighted to welcome former Saints captain and Wembley winner Dean Hammond. Dean, thanks so much for agreeing to come on the podcast and chat with Adam and myself. It's our pleasure to have you here. How's things keeping with you? I'm very well, thank you guys. Very well. How are you? Yep, good. I, I think buoyed by a positive result, which obviously makes a lot, lot, lot more enthusiastic about doing podcasts, Adam. I don't know about you, but it's a lot easier when Saints win, eh? Yeah, I was thinking yesterday, actually, at about 80 minutes, God, this is going to be a hard... Hard discussion tomorrow night when you uh, when you call in. I was just thinking, not this same again, the same old rubbish to talk about again. But actually, at least there was something positive to come out of it, and makes life much easier. 
from my point of view, Dean, Adam and I look forward to chatting about a variety of things with you, not, not least looking ahead to next weekend's fixture between your two former clubs, Brighton and Saints, which was one of the reasons why we're keen to get you on the podcast. Before we move on, I must just add my thanks to Adam Blackmore, sports editor at BBC Radio Salent, for giving the podcast permission to play that clip of Dean scoring against Leeds in 2011. Right, the plan for this podcast is to talk a little about the West Brom result this weekend. As I mentioned earlier, also look ahead to next weekend's Premier League fixture at the Amex Stadium. And finally, as we have Dean with us, ask him some questions, including some from fans, about his time with Saints during what was one of the most successful periods in the club's history. So without further ado, let's get on with the Total Saints podcast, episode 11. I feel like we should have some sort of klaxon going off at this point, Adam, affirming a positive result alert. Um, Saints got a much-needed three points against West Brom, largely thanks to a quite superb solo goal from the unpredictable but clearly talented Moroccan Sofian Bufel. Dean, have you seen the goal yet? I haven't seen the goal, I'm afraid, but I've read about it, so I know it's. Uh, I've, I've heard it's a bit of a, a wonder goal and a contender for goal of the season, so I'm looking forward to seeing it, but I've, heard, I've read about it, yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. I had a, I had, had a, my notes here. A yes, if you did, I was going to ask you what you made of it. If you didn't, Adam, I was going to get you to explain it for us. So, Adam, talk us through Sophie and Bufel's goal. So, I mean, he picked the ball up uh, inside his own half, just outside the penalty area, uh, went past two absolutely feeble challenges, got into the, uh, into the opposition half. Two West Brom defenders in a moment of absolute comedy genius ran face first into each other. It's not often you see... <laughs> Two opposition players collide heads when they're facing each other. Um, Bufau obviously just walked straight past them, got to the edge of the area. The centre-half stood off him. He just shifted it onto his right foot and then an absolutely perfectly uh, measured finish into the bottom corner. And, and St Mary's really erupted. Um, when I say erupted, I probably also mean woke up as well because it had <laughs> been another one of those afternoons there that we've seen a lot. Um, the, and, the yeah, as you said, the winning klaxon comes out for just the third time this season. It was an absolutely uh, ridiculous goal, but it felt like it needed a moment of magic. It's one of those, um, not just the game, but but Southampton's season in general, it needed something to happen. And weirdly enough, when I was sat there watching, I uh, I said to my colleague Pete about five, ten minutes before uh, Bufal came on, that I wondered whether it was a game that could just do with somebody like him. I mean, I, as you know, I've not been... His uh, biggest fan since he's arrived. I don't think he's really delivered on uh, what what uh, what promise he's got. But nonetheless, it was just one of those games where you just felt like it was going to need some individual piece of inspiration to to do the job. And I just said to, to Pete at that point in time, if you don't bring him on now in this situation when you paid 16 million quid for him, what's the point of even having him on the bench? I mean, if you're not going to bring him on then... Um, and he did bring him on, and uh, and credit to Pellegrino as well, because he also changed the system around a little bit at that point in response to what West Brom were doing, and uh, obviously that allowed him to find the space and, and an absolutely stunning goal. Absolutely, it's it's certainly one of the best goals I've ever seen by a Saints player. I, you know, unfortunately I wasn't there to see it in person, but 
I was. I was thinking today about some of the great goals I'd seen, and uh, I certainly remember being at Portman Road, and I had to look up the year. It was 2002 when Chris Marsden scored a, a fantastic solo run of his uh, uh, all the way across from one side of the pitch to the other, just just before your time, Dean. But I don't know if you were you there that day, Adam. Was, that must have been the yeah, start of your Saints I, career. Yeah, yeah, I was there. I did see it. Yeah, and I, I loved Chris as well. He was a he was a great guy Solid as well. Player. Fantastic chap. And uh, it was an amazing amazing goal as well just absolutely incredible if anything i think that one was maybe a bit more special because it was so sophie and buffow is a player who we know has the ability to do that as well as chris marston was not a player that we thought had the ability to do that and in fairness to him he didn't could never really explain quite how it happened either no. which was uh sort of made it all the more special but it was still a great goal from absolutely from Bufau. it was a moment of absolute magic really a absolutely dean i was going to ask before we went on to the the next bit what was the best goal you've ever scored during your career but you know at any level there must be one that you sticks in your mind oh i don't know i'll be honest with you i wouldn't have scored a goal like that i must admit um <laughs> um probably the best goal i scored a free kick when i was um at Colchester, uh, away at Huddersfield, um, from about 25 yards, I think. It was the last minute as well, so oh, that made it a, a bit sweeter. So that was quite nice. But the, I suppose the Leeds goal, the, uh, the goal against Leeds for Southampton, just because it was with my left foot and probably used it 10 times in my career, <laughs> my left foot. So that would make it a little bit more special for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I, like I said about Chris Marsden, I was trying to wrap my brains on your goals today, and the only other one I could think of that was pretty good was your Peterborough away from that corner where you looped it in over the, uh, sort of uh, crossed it in and went in the far post. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. In four, the four-all four, draw, yeah, was, exactly, exactly. Uh, that was, yeah, that was, that was, that was a, a nice finish, actually, put on a plate by um, Alex Oxford and Chamberlain, but it was something that, I don't actually, do you know what? I don't think we'd actually worked on that in training. I think it was an opportunity that <clears throat> the coaching staff had seen during the game on the first half that there was some space for a late run um, towards the box from a set piece and just mentioned it at half-time and mentioned, you know, the opportunity might be there. Um, so I think it was the first first corner of the second half and we just, me and Alex thought, well, why not give it a go and it just opened up and... Usually, I put them over the stand, but this one happened to go in, so that was quite nice. And you scored for, didn't you score for Saints against Brighton at some point? I seem to remember, maybe at the with Dean. Yeah, just I think it just brushed off my hair, my hair. So <laughs> yeah. I think I've just claimed that. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it well, was at the with Dean. I think it was two off. It was, that was the year we won the Paints Trophy, I think, and we just missed yeah, the yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, the the DE started on minus ten, I think. Yes, yes, it yeah. Was, yeah. There we go. Well, certainly from our point of view, Adam, I know we've been talking about Sofian for a few weeks now. Both of us said last week that we would have had him in our starting lineup yesterday. He came on against Stoke and Newcastle, lifted the performance of the team somewhat in both of those games. I mean, there's been a fair bit made of his celebration after the goal against West Brom yesterday, running across towards Pellegrino and seemingly telling him that he should be playing, etc. I guess from my point of view I've sort of seen it as a bit of a storm in a teacup you know he's obviously keen to show some passion and play which as a fan I probably want to see but but what's yours I mean should he be doing that sort of thing in the in the public limelight in front of the cameras on the pitch I don't have a problem with it I must say and we are also let's be honest we don't actually know he obviously ran over towards Pellegrino but we've got no idea what exactly he said do we so I mean it's all just speculation that, that he's sort of a uh, had a bit of a pop at him he might have also uh you know but it's that passion and if he wants to play every week well that's good that's exactly what you want you want him to be wanting to start every week don't you it's like when people make a big deal of when 
players from the same team have a bit of a pop at each other on the pitch, I always think, well, I didn't really have a problem with that because all it does is it proves that they care and that they're passionate about trying to sort it out. Yeah, there's probably slightly more constructive ways to do it, but in the heat of the moment, you do what feels right, don't you? And yeah, maybe he felt like he had a point to prove. And if that's the case, well, Pellegrino's management actually paid off, didn't it? Because he came on with a determination that he needed to do something and he did it. So, you know, now it's over to the manager to see whether he starts him next week or not. Dean, from your point of view, I mean, how frustrating is it for a footballer when they're sitting on the bench and much of the time and confidence in their own ability to go out on the pitch and make a difference? I, I, you know, I'd probably imagine it didn't happen to you too much through your career because you're obviously pivotal in most of the teams you play for. But I imagine the frustration sets in at some point if you're constantly being selected to just be a substitute. Yeah, it, I mean, it's difficult because <clears throat> as a footballer, every footballer will tell you they believe in their own ability. They will back themselves. Um, and it's just the frustration, really, because you you do all the work during the week with the team. Um, you work as hard as anyone. Some work harder in training. Some are good trainers. Some are not so good trainers. So when you don't get the opportunity to play on the Saturday, you almost feel like it's a wasted week. So, yeah, there is a frustration because everyone wants to play. It's difficult to not class, not class yourself as a footballer, but you... The main thing of the week is the match day, um, and that's where you want to perform, you want to play, um, you want to play in front of the fans, you want to win games. So it is frustrating sitting on the bench, but this day and age, especially the, the modern game, it is a squad game. Um, there's lots of rotation. Teams barely say to stay the same week in, week out. So you will get opportunities, um, and it does get easier during your career as you get older and more experienced. Probably not easier, but you're probably more understanding. Just with the experience, you understand situations a little bit better. Um, and it depends on the situation. If the team's performing and winning, you can accept it a little bit because they are winning. Um, and someone in your position, if they're performing and playing well and standing out, you have to accept it um, and just be ready when you do get that opportunity. But as you get older and more experienced, you do understand it a little bit more. But... Um, you're probably never happy because you're a footballer and you, and you get paid to play football. And in terms of the result itself, Adam, you've called matches between Newcastle and Burnley as season-defining, so it really was a vital three points for everyone at the club, not least the manager, I guess. Yeah, and it actually felt... It was weird because before before now, I'd, well, I'd obviously been speaking a lot the last few weeks about... Um, about the fact that they needed some some sort of upward momentum. They needed to be getting something going if they were going to have a chance of doing anything positive this season beyond just bumbling around in mid-table if they really wanted to make a play for sort of seventh position which looks incredibly wide open now uh, with Everton failing again this weekend that they really need to get going but actually with the later kickoff it was weird because the way the other results went when Saints kicked off for the first time I think actually there's a lot of people and Saints included speaking to some of the people around the club yesterday who were actually thinking hey we need to win this because we're, we're looking ridiculously close to the bottom three now um and anything other than a win would have uh, would have left a slightly precarious situation given that we know after the next two matches away at brighton and at home to burnley they've got to play all of the top six um before the end of the year as we know they've played sort of our quarter of the season now and other than man united they haven't really played anybody yet so uh it was a big win it was a big win in the context of their season and but this needs. We've we've said that a couple of times when they've won this season, and then they haven't picked up. But this really needs to be the springboard for them, I think, if they're going to really achieve anything this season. Otherwise, 
uh, it'll be mid-table mediocrity will Beckham, which is, you could argue, is not such a bad season in the context of, of the club, but it certainly will be below their own expectations. Uh, and with that in mind, you, you feel like, well, this this really, this can't be another full storm now. They really have to make the most of this. Dean, just to finish on the West Brom game, because there wasn't masses to talk about other than the wonder goal, as Adam has sort of said there. Um, when you and I met earlier in the year, it was a few days before Craig Shakespeare took on the head role at Leicester. The game against West Brom earlier in the week was his final one in charge, being sacked shortly after the draw between the two sides. Bearing in mind we're less than 10 games into the season, you've got De Boer that's already gone, you've got Komen and Bilic teetering on the brink, although I've literally just read a, a tweet from uh, Sky Sports saying that West Ham had decided that Bilic will remain as manager, so that's hot off the press for anyone that's listening. Um, and even the likes of sort of Saints manager Pellegrino's drawing some criticism from fans already. Are you surprised managers like Craig Shakespeare, for example, aren't given more time by their clubs and fans to get results, or is that just modern football now? I think you're right. I think your last statement's right. I think that is modern football now. Um, I don't agree with it myself. <clears throat> um, I think not having managers in place in clubs for a long period of time affects the clubs in all different ways, especially younger players coming uh, into first teams and getting opportunities, which in, in the long run will f- affect the national team and has affected the national team. Um, but it's difficult being a manager now. You're probably what, five, six games away from, from getting a sack. So mm. it's very, it must be very hard to plan as a manager. You're very, the old saying of concentrating at a game at a time, because you are. You go on one bad run, you get pressure from uh, the football club, the supporters, um, and everyone's open to their opinion, allowed their opinion, rightly so. But I think whether you could do it or you can't, I think there may be some rule that should come in where a manager should have a certain period of time to be able to put some sort of foundation down to try and help build a football club because speaking to managers and knowing managers myself it's very much they don't get a chance to look at younger players youth team academies because they just can't plan for that and they can't concentrate on that because they are based purely based on preparation and getting a result on a Saturday for the first team so some people might think, well, that's great because then you get no uh, distractions. But a manager that I've experienced, a manager wants to manage the football club, not just uh, the first team. So I don't agree with it. It doesn't sit well with me, um, especially when you mention Craig Shakespeare because obviously I've worked with him. Um, I know he's a, an excellent coach. Um, he's an excellent manager as well, which he proved last year um, and what he did last year in terms of the Champions League and keeping the club in the Premier League, I think he deserved more time, especially as he only got the job in the summer. And the uh, credibility and um, experience he's had at the football club, um, so it's difficult. And he's an English manager as well, so you know you're, we're all crying out for, especially in this country, English managers and English coaches to get more opportunities. So every time they do get an opportunity and it doesn't work out, it kind of answers his own question. So that's unfortunate as well. So. Yeah, it doesn't sit well for me, and I, I, but I understand it because football nowadays, especially in the Premier League, is a business. Yeah, it was interesting just to echo what Dean said a, a couple of years ago. You may remember uh, when Ronald Koeman was in charge, the famous press conference, which made a lot of headlines at the time, obviously Southampton being the famed academy, um, supposedly the, the best academy in the land, and the uh, press conference where Ronald Koeman was asked about the... Um, I think the under-23s at that point in time. Uh, and he obviously let rip on the fact that he just said that they weren't good enough. 
and in his opinion, they just weren't good enough to be playing. And there was a big clamour externally for, for him to be playing some young players at that point in time. And also there was a big clamour internally. I know there was a, one of the reasons that, that Southampton were not uh, sad to part with Ronald was because they felt that he was a blockage to the young players coming through. But his justification to that was, well, look, I'm five games away from getting the sack at any point in time. Exactly what Dean said. So it's all very well for you lot to sit here and tell me that I should play the young players. You're not the ones that are going to get sacked if they don't do very well. So actually, you know what? Rather than play the young players, who actually, by the way, I'm not sure that they're good enough anyway, I've got these guys in who are you know, mainly from abroad, foreign imports, and actually I think that they, they can do the job better. So from my point of view, I have to play them. It's my head that's on the chopping block and nobody else's. And I think that's a part of the problem and a part of the reason as Dean alluded to, that we're not seeing as many young English players come through now because the short-termism just means that you have to have proven talent, especially at the level that the Premier League is at, where you, where you have to be an exceptional footballer to play in the Premier League nowadays. And how many 17-, 18-year-olds are that good just straight off the bat? Not many. And so, therefore, they just don't get their chance because, actually, you can bring in a foreign player who can do the job for you. And ironically, he was probably proven right because 12 months later they were relegated from the top division of the uh, under-23s anyway, weren't they? Well, I think he was right. I mean, I, I said at the time he was kind of saying what I think a lot of us were actually thinking at the time. It was all very well to say you should play these players, but they, they didn't look good enough. And, and you know, they look at how they they have struggled since. I mean, Claude Puel obviously did a job at trying to bring some of the younger players through. They weren't young players I would say because they were obviously in their 20s but they were younger players through and this year even that's fallen by the wayside again hasn't it I mean how many of them do we see we're not even seeing an academy product in the starting 11 very much anymore because Ward Prowse isn't playing so it's it's a team full of imports now and and that really is a, a reflection on the I think the managerial changes the churn of managers the pressure of the Premier League on the managers to produces some results but also on the fact that Salampton aren't really are going for a bit of a barren spell in terms of the talent they're producing as well. Dean I wasn't necessarily going to ask about this but I know you've been quite involved with Leicester under 23s this year so in terms of some of the players that you're coaching and playing with in the under 23s I mean do, do they see a pathway through to the first team or do you think they are literally just using an experience before they inevitably have to drop down professional leagues to start their career? Both, I would suggest. I mean, if you're a player, I mean, obviously I worked closely with Leicester, the 23s, um, last season, some this season as well. And the younger players obviously know it's a different challenge now because of the quality in the first team. We're using the example of Leicester. Obviously won the Premier League a few years back and the quality they have in the first team squad now. It's very difficult for them and they probably realise that. But like I said previously, younger players especially um, will have so much confidence in their ability but it's difficult. It's difficult for any player to break through into a first team or in the Premier League. You're either exceptional, you're an exceptional talent, which means you will be pushed. The clubs highlight certain players and will, will push them. Um, examples, when I was at Southampton, younger players would train with the first team all the time. Uh, Luke Shaw, uh, Ward Prowse, people like that would just be with us all the time so they get used to the environment. They can develop quicker because they're playing with better players, faster tempo. But that doesn't happen a lot now because we go back to the fact that every manager is looking at the next result. He needs to win on a Saturday. So it's difficult for younger players. The clubs want players coming through their football club because it looks good. It is in a 
affinity with the and a connection with the crowd and the supporters who love to see a homegrown player come through. So I know the clubs try and push it, but at the end of the day, it comes down to the manager that needs to pick a team, and he's going to pick his stronger team. Hopefully, they're the youngster out there, but it comes down to trust. Whether they're the best youngster coming through with absolute amazing ability, um, you've got to be able to trust them in a match situation. And because they're young, they're going to make mistakes. But that's the only way they're going to learn in that environment. So at Leicester, they will try and push youngsters through, but it's very difficult. The only one really coming through there is Ben Chilwell. I think he's played in the first team quite a lot, and he's, uh, but he is an exceptional talent. Just finally on the sort of West Brom Saints relationship then. So looking at it from Saints' point of view specifically, over the last 12 months or so, there's been a lot of discontent around St Mary's with many questioning what our identity is. And Adam's spoken about it a fair bit over the last few weeks, Dean. In terms of clubs like West Brom and Saints, how hard is it to consistently maintain a challenge for the sort of top six, seven places in the Premier League these days, bearing in mind these clubs haven't got limitless pots of cash like some of the other big boys? It's difficult. It's very difficult. The Premier League is so competitive now. I mean, you look at the teams in the Premier League, financially, except for, say, the top six, everyone has got similar funds, which is a lot of money um, nowadays. So it's very, very difficult. And if you get on a, a losing run or you can't win games or you're not scoring goals, then you can get drawn into it. And once you get around that bottom three, bottom four, it, it, it kind of sucks you in. So what Southampton have done, you know, a club like Southampton, I think they've done fantastic myself. It's very difficult for a club like Southampton. They're in the top ten now. Last year they had a great cut run. So they finish in the top ten, can push for seventh to try and get into Europe. That's a fantastic achievement, really. Um, And they could get some youngsters back around the first-team squad and in the first team. That's a bonus as well because, as I believe it, and when I was there, that was the identity of the football club to get young players into the first team. Um, and that was one of the reasons why I had to leave in the end, because obviously they wanted to push James Ward-Prowse on, and we were in the same position. And rightly so, youngsters should come through. Um, they, it should happen at every football club. But it's very difficult, the Premier League, because it, it's a brand, it's a business, and it's a world business as well. So you're not just competing against players in this country. You're, you're competing against players all around the world. Absolutely. Well, it was certainly a big three points for Saints, no doubt about that, and an important time in the season, secured by a truly magnificent goal. Before we talk about the Brighton game, we're now going to talk to Dean a little more about his time at Saints. Right, Dean, I thought we'd start by talking about some of the players you play with during your time at Saints. The likes of Soccer M would probably call this section something boring and simple like teammates, but I've had the creative juices flowing all week and have cleverly come up with a one-off title for this. It's Dean Mates. Pr- pretty good, wow. eh? Wow. Adam, Adam, what do you reckon on that? <laughs> eh? Absolutely. Job in newspaper headlines beckons. So. PR, here I come. Absolutely. Yeah, hours of effort went into that, but there we go. Um, back to the serious stuff. I'm going to ask you some pretty simple questions about your time at Saints, Dean. The players you played with, all we'd like you to do is give us the first name and or reason that comes into your head, really. So, fairly simple. Is that all right? Yeah, no problem. Good stuff. Right. First up, who was the best player you played with at Saints and why? Best player? Well, oh, God, that's a tough question, that. Um, Adam These Lallana. These are the simple ones, Dean. These are the, we haven't even got to the hard ones yet. Adam Lallana. Just, yeah. yeah, Adam Lallana, yeah. just because his natural ability, fantastic, and, and dedication and hard work, hardest working player as well. Cool. Who, who was the biggest joker? 
Danny Butterfield. Hilarious. Funniest man in football. Who was the hardest worker on the training pitch? Oh, I'd have to say Adam Lallana. Yeah? Yep. Who loved the moan? Oh, who loved the moan? Oh, wow. Who didn't? Um, <laughs> you stuck me now. Um, Surely you as captain then? No, well, to be f- there wasn't that many moans at the football club. I know you want to want to answer, but... Um, Ricky Lambert loved the moan when he couldn't do any shooting, so I'll go Ricky Lambert. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, we'll accept that. That's fine. Um, who was your best mate at Saints? Oh, uh, that's difficult to pick out that. We were a cl- proper close-knit group. So we all got on really well, really, so I wouldn't pick out anyone individually. I'd have to say that I think that's why we were so successful, so I'd just say the group as a whole. The collective. All right, no, that's fine. I'll accept that. That's no worries. Who did you room with on away games? Uh, we used to, a lot of used to room on our own. So, yeah, I started off on a first at Southampton, rooming with Dan Harding, but then we used to have our own rooms if you wanted. Was there a sort of psychology behind that, or was it just that you know, the club were doing well and they could afford to everyone to have their own bedroom, or what? A bit of both, I think. I think the club were obviously doing well and wanted the best of the players, and especially under Nigel Atkins, preparation was, was key. He was very thorough in his preparation, so if there was something he could help you with, I mean, I remember my own because... I had young kids at the time, so you know, sleep was important to me. So I've had a, a, a away game. <laughs> I wasn't the best company because I just wanted to sleep, to be honest. <laughs> no, fair enough. Um, who had the worst dress sense? Oh, wow. Um, David Connolly. Yeah? Yeah, horrendous. What, was, was there anything you remember specifically that he wore that was just dreadful? No, just old stuff. Never used to treat myself to clothes. So that's yeah. Fair enough. And then the, the last one then, so who was the most intelligent? Oh, uh, probably have to say, say Calvin Davis. There we go, smart guy. Um, right, if you were going to pick a six-a-side team from all the players you played with at Saints, who makes it into your team? And this is on the proviso, Dean, that you can't pick yourself. So okay. six, six, six players from your squad. Oh, it'd have to be Calvin Goal. Calvin Davis in goal. Um, I'd have to go Joe's at the back. Adam Lalana and Morgan Snydlin in midfield. Um, I'd have to go David Connolly because on his day, and especially for six aside, his ability was amazing. Honestly, he was when he was fit, he was probably one of the best players I played with. He was excellent, really, really good. So, and obviously Ricky Lambert. I thought he might be in your team. Yeah, no, you're right about Connolly. He was he was a a great finish. I, I certainly, uh, as you say, it's a shame he couldn't stay fitter than he did sometimes. But yeah, his his partnership with uh, Ricky for a while there was pretty good, wasn't it? Look, just before we move on, I was going to ask you about Ricky anyway, because obviously he announced his retirement a couple of weeks ago. Some career in the end, real sort of Roy the Rover stuff in, in working so hard to get from the lower leagues to the pinnacle of scoring a, a winner for England at Wembley. I know when we arranged in the interview, we both mentioned the word legend, Dean, but he, he obviously has some career in the end. Yeah, I'm an amazing career, and obviously he's, he's a legend, he's a Southampton legend. From joining the club in League One, minus 10 points, and scoring the amount of goals he did, the amount of assists he did, um, what he did for the team, proper team player, amazing, a, a real top bloke as well, um, good good fun to be around, and just, you know, worked on his game as well, was a good trainer, didn't miss many many training sessions, always tried to improve especially his finishing. So he deserved everything he got, you know, and, and going on to represent his country, then play for his, 
his boyhood club that he loved, Liverpool, um, a fantastic career and he deserves every accolade he's got and, and congratulations because he's done, especially at Southampton, he's done so much for that football club and you know he's done so much for uh, the players as well because his goals really, I know a lot of other things go into it, it's a team game and it's a team sport but his goals you know, got us promoted and and got us all the achievements. So individually, I, I'd like—I I have to thank him as well. So he had a great career, and yeah, what a player! I was lucky enough to see Matt Letizia for most of his career, and, and Ricky, obviously number seven as well. I think forever be legends to me. I didn't get the likes to see Keegan or Shannon or, or those sort of lot, but certainly in my my lifetime. And I imagine for you as well, Adam, because you would have obviously seen him from the day he signed to the day he left. So it must have been some journey for you watching him from the sidelines as well. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, and and a really good guy as well. I think that's the other thing. It was. Um, I think this time we're talking about actually. Well, in fact, most of the time that I've covered Saints, it's been there's been a good group of guys there. I mean, I tend to spend my time dealing with the manager much more than the players. And as a general rule, that's that's kind of where I spend most of my time um, doing pre-match and post-matches with the manager. But actually, the the bunch of players that. Um, that Southampton had in that era, but have had generally um, some really, really top, top people, uh, some really sound uh, individuals. And, and I know there's a great stereotype about what footballers are like. And, and maybe now the, the huge money's rolled into Southampton Football Club in the wages. We're starting to see a bit of a shift and Southampton becoming a bit more like other clubs. But up until perhaps the last year or a couple of years, I mean, just a fantastic bunch and Ricky Lambert stories right up there with the best. I remember uh, covering him several times playing for England, not least being at Wembley when he um, came off the bench and, and scored that incredible goal and uh, what a moment that was for him. But uh, the only thing I wondered, though, from Dean's answers, in none of them, I was desperately waiting, hoping that this was going to come up. Papa, why go? <laughs> How did he not get a mention in, in you know... Is a the best character, the worst dressed, the best dressed? I don't know. He must have been something. Well, I'll tell you what. Some days, some days, it was, it was funny. He just he'd turn up in a suit some days for no reason, <laughs> just because. And we was asking why. What, what is he going in a meeting afterwards? Is he someone important to me? Answer was no. He just wanted to wear a suit. Don't get an opportunity to wear a suit much. And <laughs> wanted to wear one into training. So yeah, probably best dressed was Papa, but he was he was a good bloke. Very funny. Um, great to have around the place. Didn't speak much English, but obviously Raddy and Morgan were there and spoke French with him, so he was um, and had quite an effect on the club in in that season. He, was he there. did, but, yeah. You know, didn't know didn't know the offside rule, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. We've actually, you know, we've actually got a question in the fans' question just about him and uh, that incident in inverted commas at Wembley, Dean. So we will have a chat about him in a minute. But yeah, ne next time I, I, sh I should have asked you who was the most offside player during your career, and then at least you could have got him in there. But uh, there we go. So cool. Well, let, let's move on to um, there's um, three or four fans' questions. So let's move on to have a, a chat about those. Alongside getting to know a bit more about your ex-Saints teammates then, Dean, we've also, thanks to your agreement, given fans the chance to ask you questions via our Twitter and Facebook sites. So I've gone through them, compiled the, the best four to ask you here. The first one, Sam on Facebook asked, Dean, who was your footballing idol or idols when you were growing up? Footballing idols were Paul Gascoigne when I was younger. So um wasn't very loyal when I was younger. Whatever club he played for, I supported. Um, but he was just... Obviously, being a midfield player, um, just everything 
I wanted to be in a midfield player. Obviously, <laughs> didn't end up playing like him, but yeah, I wanted to. Um, just the way his passion for the game, you could see he loved it, the way he dribbled the ball, the way he protected the ball, the way he turned with the ball, he could dictate a game. So Paul Gascoigne and then probably Roy Keane. Um, really enjoyed watching Roy Keane, um, box-to-box midfield player, loved the tackle, was a leader, a captain, um, and just really enjoyed watching him play, um, really fit. Well, I mean, I never met uh, Roy Keane or played against him, but spoke to people who had and, and, and played with him and um, knew his characteristics and different things. He was very professional, loved football, um, and obviously he was a winner. So, um, Paul Gaskin and Roy Keane. Matthew Wood, at Matt underscore SFC underscore Wood on Twitter, asked, what was your favourite Saints game and why? Oh, I'd have to say, I can't really, just because the effect I think it had on my career and it started things moving in the right direction at Southampton again, I think, um, would have to be the game um, at Wembley winning the uh, Paints Trophy, just because what it meant to the football club at the time, the amount of fans were at Wembley, uh, the result and just being able to enjoy that day with the fans. And I think we knew from that point that the club was really moving, really had momentum and was going in the right direction. Um, wasn't one of my best performances, I must admit. I can't really remember touching the ball that much, to be honest. So um, it wasn't, individually, it wasn't one I remember from my performance, but um, what it meant for myself uh, and my career at that time, um, I'd have to say the game at Wembley. Alistair, Alistair, no three man, quite complicated Twitter address, but there we go, on Twitter asked, could you really see the likes of Adam and Ricky going on to play for England when you were all together in League One? And then I was thinking about this and thought we should probably chuck Mikel Antonio in there as well, because he obviously played with you at that time. So could yeah, you cool. see well, any of those and, three? Or... And let's say Jose Font going on to win the European Championships as well. Yeah. Well, okay, we're getting yeah, quite a long list here, but yeah, could you see Sorry. any? <laughs> could could I mean, from the three English lads, then focusing on them, I mean, could you see any of them or all of them playing for England at that time, Dean? Yes, particularly um, particularly Adam Alana, just because he had and he has that natural ability. Um, I remember first when I first trained, and people spoke about him. The coaches and the manager spoke about me to him, and said, um, "We've got a talented boy here." Um, coming through, um, I think he only broke into the sea the first team the season before, maybe I think when they got relegated from the championship. Um, but yeah, he was he was special, Adam. When he started to work with really good coaches, we we when we started to win games, um, the only thing he was missing was the understanding of the game and the understanding of maybe winning. Um, he had all the ability himself, uh, but he learned that pretty quickly, and he learned that in the. In a, in a team format and that's why he flourished and, and Ricky obviously when he started scoring goals and um, started playing with him you really only probably appreciate a player when you actually play with them um, people have different opinions on players but when you play with them you, you can pick little details out about them um, and Ricky once he started scoring goals and he was an intelligent footballer was never the quickest wasn't slow but was never the quickest but he was very good with the ball um, I think he started as a midfield player, uh, not at Southampton, but early in his career. So he had so much ability. And he was just, you know, everyone that played with him appreciated him. And Michael Antonio, probably not, but he had raw ability and raw pace and he was an athlete. So 
he always had a chance. So you could tell they had something, but Adam Lallana definitely you could do. the way how how hard he worked and the way he played and the way he loved the game. And yeah, I could see him playing for his country. Finally, Chris Rand, friend of the show, at CR Stig on Twitter, asked, what was going through your mind when Papawego forced his way past you to the front of the Wembley balcony so he could help, in inverted commas, you and Calvin lift the JPT trophy? <laughs> to start with, I thought, who the hell is this? Because obviously he wasn't looking along the line. Then I'm thinking, I'm going to drop the cup here. Someone's going to take it off me. Um, but yeah, I didn't know where he'd come from. I don't know if he had it planned or he was just off the cuff. But yeah, it was... Uh, bit of a crazy moment really he came from nowhere and he just run, I think he started right at the back maybe and just ran all right the line and just wanted to get involved but I think it just showed what it meant to everyone lifting a trophy at Wembley obviously one of my proudest moments and it, it was an amazing feeling but yeah when he when he came running along I thought what the, what the hell is going on here just to add to the question, what's that feeling like? I mean, for people like Adam and me that will ne- you know, never even be professional footballers, that's obviously something you're going to carry with you for the rest of your life, which must be an amazing sort of a memory to have. I mean, what, what is that moment like when someone passes you the cup and Papawego aside, you get to lift it up in the air and you see all your fans celebrating and you, you know that you're a, you're a champion, so to speak? I mean, it must be amazing, the, the, the pinnacle of being a sportsman, surely. Yeah, I mean... It... You're right, it was an amazing feeling. It's difficult to replicate that and explain, but um, when you're younger, you know, the, the biggest dream when I was younger was always trying to win the FA Cup, play at Wembley, win the FA Cup and lift the trophy. That was always my dream. But the walk up the stairs is, is quite special as well. You know, you people, players always talk about that, walking up the steps to Wembley to lift the trophy. So walking up the steps with your teammates, seeing the fans celebrate as you go past them, um, seeing friends and family was special, but... You know, lifting the trophy in front of the Southampton fans uh, and with Calvin as well and with teammates that um, were good people and good footballers was, was a special moment. And obviously the amount of fans were there as well. So it, it was a great moment. Then you go down on the pitch and you kind of do it again and you celebrate with champagne and you walk around the pitch. It was amazing, really, and um, special moments in my career. Brilliant. Look, I, I actually wanted to ask you a question, Dean, myself as well. So I know you've been doing some coaching with Leicester and we've obviously spoken about the perils of being a manager earlier on. I mean, do, do you have aspirations now to become a manager in the game at some point or have you, have you not really thought about what you're going to do once you sort of move on from football? Honestly, I'm not sure. Um, I love the game of football. It's been my life for so long um, and obviously dedicated my life to it. And so I want to get back into it now. Now I've, I've, fin- now I've finished playing, I... I'm doing my coaching badges. Um, I've done my B licence in the summer, so I'm going through that process. Um, I enjoy the recruitment side of the game in terms of scouting, going to watch games, analyse games, talk about football. I love that. I've done some media work as well. So I want to be involved in football. I love it. Um, But the route I'm going to go down, I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, I'm the type of person that, pretty similar to my my playing career if I'm going to do something I put my heart and soul into it and I commit to it to try and get be the best I possibly can so when I do decide to do something I want it to be for the right reasons and, and you know really go for it and try and be the best I can and try and build a career so I'm not sure at the moment and to be honest it's even when you've had an okay career like myself it's quite difficult to get an opportunity um, everyone wants to be involved in football unless something falls into place or you get recommended for it, it it's, 
more difficult than I thought it would be at the moment. So we'll see what the future holds. I'm sure, like my, myself, every other Saints fan out there, we wish you all the best for that, absolutely. So thank, thanks to everyone who responded with their questions for Dean. It's much appreciated, as it is to Dean, for answering them. To finish up the episode of the podcast, we're going to look ahead to next weekend's South Coast clash between two of Dean's former clubs, Brighton and Hove Albion, and Saints. Dean, you made a combined 297 senior appearances for Brighton and Saints, asterisks according to Wikipedia, so more than qualified to give your thoughts ahead of the fixture. Brighton getting promoted to the Premier League last season made it three South Coast clubs now playing in England's top division, which is obviously great for the geography in England. Like Saints and Bournemouth, they fought their way up through the lower leagues over a number of years. Firstly, were you surprised that the club eventually made it to the Premier League, or has it always been clear that they had the strategy and infrastructure to get there? Not surprised now because I think it all hinged on the size of the club and the development of the club was when they didn't have the stadium. Um, now they have the stadium, obviously it's always had a, um, a large following. Um, even at Withdean uh, Stadium, when you know it's, it was a, a poor stadium, a small stadium, we used to get seven, 8,000 there. So the, cl- the club is, is a big club. Um, now they have the training ground as well. Um, as soon as uh, Tony Bloom took full control of the football club. He's an ambitious man and he's a fan as well, which helps. Um, he always wanted to get to the Premier League and I think they've always demonstrated that um, since his since his ownership and since the stadium with the, with the managers that they've appointed, um, with the investment they've put into the football club. So, not surprised and they deserve it as well. You know, they've had some, some tough times in the past like every club does, but they've you know, nearly went out of business and then he got relegated to the to the, the conference when it was out of um, League Two. So it's been a long journey for them, uh, but now they're there. I think they're really appreciating, and, and they're doing pretty well, to be honest. Adam, what what have you made to their start? I mean, Dean's obviously mentioned it there, but what have you made to their start to, to life in the Premier League? Well, I mean, you can't be anything other than impressed, can you? I mean, they're, they're not exactly uh, splashing the cash up with the big boys. They have had quite a recruitment drive during the summer. Um, but I think it's all credit. We we're talking man- about managers earlier, but Chris Hooton's been, been, uh, for my mind, for my money, a, a really great manager at a number of clubs. He's had a bit of misfortune, I think, to have lost jobs along the way when he's when he's actually a very, very good manager. He's very steady. He's very uh, unassuming, uh, very calm. But he's clearly very good. And and people who I know who have worked with him or uh, have played under him, have really had nothing but good words to say about him and and, and the way he is around uh, a team and a dressing room. And I think it would have been pretty fair to expect, have expected Brighton to have struggled. And then, obviously, when they brought in quite a lot of players, especially fairly late in the window, you did worry whether they were realistically going to be able to gel together. But, I mean, he's, he's done a fantastic job. And... and Yes, it's early days still, and we know that for promoted clubs, you can have this sort of honeymoon period, and it can tail off. But Brighton looked fairly well equipped. I'd worry slightly about, um, kind of a little bit, where the goals are coming from over the over the longer term. But actually, at the moment, it doesn't seem to be a problem. And you know that under Chris Hewton, they are going to be well organised, and they're going to be very well drilled. He builds from the teams from the back. They're going to be defensively pretty solid and pretty hard to break down. And they've got quite a few points on the board already, haven't they? And I mean, that's 
that's really important to get those points on the board earlier. Well, they've got 11 points already, I think. So uh, their, their aim is for the start of the season was obviously going to be trying to stay in the division. Well, uh, they're, they're well on their way to doing that. And they're, they're probably above where they expected to be points wise at this point of the season. Dean, I know it is early days, as Adam's just said there. I mean, do you think Brighton can stay up over the course of the season, or do you, do you think, based on the start they've made, they, they've now maybe got higher aspirations than that? No, I mean, their aspirations may slightly differ, but I think the main goal and main objective is obviously to stay in the division. That's how they'll be able to build the football club, and that's how they'll be able to make it big, and, and obviously, at the end of the day, invest more money if they do have consistent seasons in the Premier League, similar to what Southampton have done. You grow... Um, at a steady pace, um, but they've started well. What what they are is I've, I've watched them a couple of times this season live. They are defensively excellent, uh, the two centre half especially, and, and Dale Stevens in front of them, very solid. They're not. It surprised me that you know when you go into the Premier League, the hardest thing to do is obviously score because you're going to get less opportunities and you're going to concede more goals because you're playing against better players. But you know they've looked quite comfortable. Defensively, uh, no one's really overpowered them, um, overstretched them. Even when they played Man City, um, they were still okay. So defensively, they look good. I I agree with you. When they didn't sign um, another striker, um, I feared for them. I know they did try. I know they came close to signing a striker, but just couldn't get it over the line uh, for whatever reason. So. They'll probably revisit that in January, I, I expect. But Glenn Murray the other night against West Ham was excellent. I know Glenn and play with Glenn, so very good player. Um, he's played this level before. So what they are and what you need, you always need. They look like a proper unit, a good team spirit. So that will help them through the season. So I think they'll probably end up where most think, where I think they'll, they'll, they'll just stay up, which is a, a successful season for them. Absolutely. I mean, they've obviously been on television a fair bit and, and Man City game and Bournemouth away where they lost where they maybe shouldn't have done but from, from Saints point of view Adam it certainly looks like a tough fixture next weekend now against the team that obviously don't stop working as Dean said are well organised they will pressure you they're going to get in our face it's uh, I guess for a goal shy Saints team that's that's not really what you want to come up against at the moment well I suppose not but but with all due respect to Brighton I think if you're Southampton you've got to look at this as a pretty winnable game I know away from home in the Premier League you would you would probably take a point I think that's fair to say but actually for Southampton's point of view for, for where they aspire to be which as we've talked about is in the upper half of the table not top six but maybe best of the rest so we're talking seventh eighth this is a game that's that's eminently winnable for them a Brighton They've had a good start, but I think probably the majority of neutrals would expect that once the season rolls out uh, a little bit further, they probably are uh, going to level off a little bit and maybe struggle a bit more. And so, yeah, this is difficult because they have some belief and they have some momentum behind them. But from Slamter's point of view, and we've spoken about the last few weeks, that this being such a crucial period of fixtures, I think on the back of a win, they they need to be going there really looking at getting a positive result. I don't I don't really buy the fact that, yes, yes, it's a difficult game, but in the way that we all know the old cliche that every game is difficult in the Premier League. We know that's true, but if you're, if you're ranking them, you'd probably rather play them at the moment than be going to Man City or going to Chelsea or somebody like that. So actually, from Southampton's point of view, on the back of a victory, I still think this is a good chance for them to get something. On that basis, is there anything you change from the West Brom lineup going down to the Amex? 
well, second guessing for a moment, I don't think there is a lot that he will change. Probably not a lot I would change. I know that there's inevitably going to be a clamour for Buffal to start now, but going away from home, I think that he will probably stick with what he's what he's got. And actually, I think one major plus, obviously, is he made the change with, with the Redmond for dropping out for, for Stephen Davis this week. And that, that actually had a very positive effect, I think, on Ryan Bertrand. Um, Stephen Davis, as we know, is a very clever player and, and actually allowed a lot more space tucking in on, on that left-hand side for Bertrand to get forward. And Bertrand was far more effective than we've seen him in recent weeks. And as we all know, a team that does struggle a little bit for any width or to get on the outside, really, uh, Bertrand's one of those players that, that really can provide that for them. And I think away from home as well, uh, that he'll want that and the defensive solidity that Stephen Davis brings. I think to chuck in Buffal would be difficult unless he was going to drop long, uh, you know, an attacking player for an attacking player. But actually, with the work rate of uh, Shang Long, uh, I think he'll be very wary of doing that. So I, I honestly don't think he'll probably change much from the starting lineup. I think that assuming everybody's fit, he'll stick with it. And I actually think that's probably the right thing to do to then have those options off the bench again if you need them. Dean, from Bryson's point of view, I mean, you've obviously mentioned you've seen them live a couple of times. I, I guess it's almost the flip of that, that they will see this as a winnable fixture that can get them another three points towards ultimate safety. Yeah, of course they will, especially being, being a home game. And Southampton, obviously, a very good a very good team, a very uh, established Premier League team now. Um, but it will be one that, when the fixtures come out, you, you earmark, you know, the Man Cities, the Liverpools, the, the Man United, the Tottenham's, etc., Chelsea... They're the ones you almost get free hits at them. You're not expected to win, but if you can get a point for that game or even just a positive performance, that's a bonus from them sort of game. So Southampton, Brighton will look at it and think, right, it's another opportunity of us to win a game or to pick some points up because every point in the Premier League is so important um, when it comes down to to the end of the season. So their home form's been okay uh, of late. Um, like I said before, they don't concede many goals. Don't score that many, even though they won 3 0 on Friday night against uh, a poor West Ham team. So it'd be a game they'll look at uh, to win, but they're very strong uh, from set pieces. The two ten and a half attack the ball so well, so Southampton will have to be wary of that. You mentioned Dunk, Duffy, and Stevens there, which sounds like a posh estate agents. But you, uh, <laughs> um, Solly March is a player that really impressed me. I know Saints were linked with him actually about 12, 18 months ago, and then I, I know he signed a new contract there. With respect to Brighton, is he someone that you can eventually see going on to possibly pay for one of the bigger clubs in England? Well, Solly's done very well. I think he, he, was, he was injured and then he was in and out last last season. He, he started the Premier League. I think he started nearly every game. He didn't start Friday, but he started nearly every game. And what, what Solly March will give you is quality on the ball. He works ever so hard up and down, which obviously is another reason why he's in the team and uh, why the manager probably likes him because he's defensively sound to help out the defensive unit. I actually see him as a more of a central midfield player in a three, I would say. One of the two playing in front of the holding midfield player just because he's got that quality on the ball um, and he can create things and uh, dribble with the ball really well. So, yes, um, I could see him moving on and playing for a bigger club, but I think he can, he can do that at Brighton um, like any youngster at coming through uh, Southampton really you know Southampton and Brighton can be are and can be massive football clubs so I don't think you always need to go to one of the big guns and I think Brighton are very 
ambitious and they'll they'll try and keep hold of them. Similar situation to Lewis Dunk, who's done exceptional this season. The way he's defended, the way he, you know he uh, loves defending, um, attacks the ball, uh, makes great challenges and great decisions, blocks the ball. Um, so they've got two good English stars there coming through uh, the football club. As ever, we end our preview section with a normally unreliable choice of predictions. Normally, when it's Adam and I, we both got them wrong this weekend, Adam, didn't we? But maybe that was a good thing, obviously. Um, st- starting with you, what do you think the, the result will be at the uh, Amex next week, Adam? Ah, uh, well, I what did I go for this week? I went one all, didn't yeah, I, did, I think? Well, did, yeah. I'll just go with it again. I'm just going to keep saying one all until eventually <laughs> I get it right. So I'll go one all. All right, one all, fair enough. Dean, what, what do you reckon the score will be? And even though it's a Southampton podcast, you, you can be honest, honestly. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Well, I don't want to put the fans off. I don't want to, no one's going up. But <laughs> That's I'm right. Ben always predicts to, him to lose. I'm going to have to say it's going to have to be a nil-nil, I think. Just because... Oh. Not, I don't think it'll be a boring nil-nil. I just think there's... Obviously, Southampton are not free-scoring at the moment and, and Brighton are defensively sound and um, they're not free-scoring as well. So, I think it'll be a, a, a decent game with uh, opportunities. Not a boring nil-nil, but I think it'll be nil-nil. There we go. I think it will be a tough game. I agree. I, I think against the team that will smell blood. But I think if we battle like we can do, then I believe personally that Saints have got more individual talent on the pitch than, than Brighton. But that's probably just because we are a, a little bit further ahead in our evolution. I, I've undenied about all three results again, Adam. I've, I'm so indecisive when it comes to this. And Saints fans are going to hate me for this, but I'm going to go 2-1 to Saints. So I apologise now that oh, that clearly won't happen. Well, that's the end of that then. <laughs> I was trying to be positive, look. so uh, there we go. So yeah, we got all the bases covered there. So two draws and a away win. So I, I think we could all probably put a banker on the, a home win, which is great. So uh, good stuff. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Total Saints Podcast. It's always much easier to have a chat, as I mentioned at the start, when Saints have won a game. Let's hope there'll be a few more along imminently. My thanks as ever to Adam Leach from the Southern Daily Echo for his time, and a special thanks to Dean Hammond, former Saints captain. Dean, if you're available and we've not put you off too much, then I I wasn't sure if you might be interested in coming on again before the reverse fixture. I think it's at the end of January, so I don't know if we, we, we could annoy you again then. Of course you can, it'd be my pleasure, no problem. Excellent, well we look forward to that, thanks very much. And finally, a quick shout out to our friends over at Saints FC Podcast. They've carried out a more in-depth interview with Dean this week about his time before, during and after Saints, so keep an eye out for that. I think it's coming out the next few days, so I'm sure that'll be a great listen and another good chance to hear from Dean. In the meantime, I'm off to watch Sophie and Buffel's go about another hundred times. Um, Have a great week and keep marching in. 
by fans.